Today's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 6, 1 to 18, and then Matthew 7, 7 to 12. And you'll find that in the Bibles, uh, in the chairs in front of you, on page 970. So I'll just give you a second to find that. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you were fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And the next reading is Matthew 7, 7 to 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your father asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Good morning, everyone. Let me just say a very warm welcome to Naomi Island, all the way from Darwin and our new mission partner. Why don't we welcome Naomi to church this morning? Great to have you here. For those who don't know me, she was our former children's pastor. She's now up in Darwin, uh, ministering amongst predominantly the Aboriginal kids and families. Um, So do catch up with her after the service. Let me pray 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we do rejoice that we have it open to read and to learn from each week, each day. May you speak to us from it this day, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you were here the last couple of weeks, you'll know that the preachers have referenced their favourite animals and if they were to be an animal, we found out that Scott was going to be the snowy owl. Uh, let me say, I didn't know much about the snowy owl, but I was impressed. I thought, yep, I can get that one. This one was a bit of a slow burner for me, though. Nathan brought to us the slow loris, and uh, cute, but as we found out last week, also deadly for animals because very poisonous. And uh, what a cute smile. Who would think that he's got poisonous fangs behind that? Anyway, um, continuing the favourite animal theme, I wonder if anyone, when they thought about the animal they would like to be thought, I would love to be a peacock. <laughs> I remember as a child going to Taronga Zoo, and we would just love, I personally would love to see them, and when their tails went out, they're just so beautiful, colourful, etc., etc. and they're actually technically called peafowls for the ladies, the males are called the peacocks, and the fascinating thing about the male peacock is the incredible display of beauty is all about their mating ritual, and they basically are flashing their colours to try and attract the women uh, to do what they do. I'll just leave that there. And um, I did some reading. Apparently, it's the number of eyes, those round things, that the females find most significant. And if you've got not many eyes, not much happening, blokes. Anyway, the whole thing, though, is the peacock is saying, look at me. That's an interesting phrase, look at me. It was made famous by who? that hilarious couple from Fountain Lakes in Melbourne. Do you remember them? I'm going to be showing this at night church and I'm going to have to reference Netflix for people to actually go and watch it because they probably haven't seen it. But Kath and Kim, who could forget Kath and Kim? Look at me is a phrase now just <laughs> banked into our memory here in Australia. I'm not going to say too much. I got Netflix out and had a look yesterday and I thought, no, nope, they haven't changed. <laughs> It's funny, we laugh at that, look at me, but we're not much different, are we, as adults? We do like to be looked at, if we are deeply honest. Uh, you think about the trophies on our shelves, the awards that we've got framed, the pictures on the wall of the great moments in our life. There's something about us that we like to be noticed. And let me say, it's not all bad. I think a very profound part of being human is to both know people and to be known by them. And in fact, it's actually an essential part of life that you have that sense of community of being known by others and being accepted and loved. And I raise that because we come to a passage today that started with these words, Matthew 6, verse 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them because if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so it's an interesting part of Scripture to reflect on, particularly, if I can put it this way, because of our natural desire to be known. And that can easily morph in to being seen and appreciated and parading our virtues. And I want to look at uh, three things from the passages we've just had read. The first is the paradox, to be seen or not seen. 
Secondly, the call to live for an audience of one. And thirdly, the promise, rewards from heaven. Let's think about the first thing, the paradox to be seen or not seen. And I say paradox because if you just go one chapter earlier of Jesus' teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, you get that famous little description that we are to be salt, we are to be light, and it is concluded by saying, and you can see the words on the screen, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's chapter 5, verse 16. Chapter 6, verse 1, you get this said straight afterwards. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. In other words, be private in your faith, be careful not to be seen, but yet let your good works be seen. You could be forgiven for thinking, Jesus, which one do you want us to do? (laughs) Do you want us out there or do you want us in there, private and away? How does this all work? It, It seems to be a paradox. We're to live out our faith in the world in such a way that God gets the glory, but we're to do it without telling anyone about it. That's the paradox. And what I want to put to us today as we think about this is that genuine spirituality is a public faith. We are called to go out into the world as Christians and to be unashamed to confess his name. But this public faith is fueled by a private devotion that is real and secret. And I'm going to put up a, uh, a saying through the talk, which is this, secrecy saves sincerity. Secrecy saves sincerity. Genuine spirituality is a public faith, but it's fueled by private devotion. And secrecy will save sincerity. And so I want to spend a fair bit of time just thinking about that reality as we go through chapter 6 and also reflect a bit on chapter 7 that we had read to us. Because we have a call, and the call is this, it's to live for an audience of one. We do have this natural predilection to want to impress. Now, it's stronger in others, uh, some than others, no doubt. But there is this desire to be known, to be seen. But we're called to actually focus, if I can say, our spiritual energies to heaven, first of all. Jesus expects his disciples to give to the poor, to pray and to fast. He doesn't say, if you'll do these things, but when you'll do them. And the key was, they were to do it secretly. And notice the repetition when you read through it. If you've got your Bibles there, you might want to open up to chapter 6, verse 1 to 8, and just have a look at these verses. In regards to charity, which we're going to come to, verse 2, he says, don't do it to impress people. And then talks about that, and we're going to have a look at that in a sec. In regards to prayer, verse 5, don't do it to be seen by people. In regards to fasting, he says, don't do it to be obvious to people. And then three times he repeats this phrase. And if you do that, your Father in heaven will reward you. In other words, we've got a call on our lives to live for this audience of one, our Heavenly Father. And he is to be the one who is motivating us, and he is the one we're to be directing our energy and attentions to in order to be seen by him as we live out our faith in this world. 
And the underlying problem that Jesus is addressing here is human pride. That desire to be impressive, the desire to be seen, the desire to be noticed for the things we're doing for God. To look virtuous. And pride in many ways is the root of human sin. Richard Niebuhr, famous American theologian, highlighted this issue. And you think with me about pride. Um, It's not all bad. There's a sense of national pride that we have as Australians. I mean, I love being an Australian. I love our country. I think we would share that, wouldn't we? We've got a national pride. Um, There's a sporting pride. Uh, I have a gold cap. It's a Wallabies one. Actually, Bruce Baird gave it to me. I've put it on for the World Cup to support the Socceroos. Who wasn't proud of them getting through to the last 16? Nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. And then there's family pride. We're currently in for families and grandparents. School reporting season or award time, you might say. And what parent doesn't feel proud seeing Johnny or Jenny up on the podium or grandparent? We love to see that. Nothing wrong with it. Good things. And Paul, interestingly in the Bible, is proud of Christians. He says, look, I've got no one like this, speaking of Timothy. He's proud of churches. Uh, I've got this deep affection for you, the Philippian church. And so there's a right sense of pride, but also there's a wrong sense. And Psalm 10 is a very confronting psalm. It says these words, In his pride, the wicked person does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. And the problem with pride is, in three ways, if I can sum it up, there's a pride of power that we think we are able and we can do things in our own strength. We don't need God. There's a pride of knowledge that I know everything. Again, I don't need God. And there's a pride of virtue. Aren't I a good person? And what's been critiqued here in this psalm is this sense of which, aren't I good? Aren't I powerful? Aren't I knowledgeable? I don't need God. In their pride, the wicked person does not seek God. And I want us to note Jesus' warning that starts this chapter off. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so against our natural inclination of pride within, we need to live for God And we need to live it in a way that's secret. Secrecy protects our spirituality. And there's three different areas, and I think it's fascinating these areas that Jesus picks out. There's the area of having a genuine love for people. In other words, we need to care for them. There's the area of our genuine trust in God that we need to seek him in prayer. And then there's the area of a genuine hunger for God's kingdom that will lead to fasting. And these three activities, I take it, flow out of a genuine love for God, which is the first commandment, that we would love him with all of our heart, soul, strength and mind. And how is that to be expressed? Well, it's to be done quietly, secretly, in the way we care for people. Our love for God will cause us to care for others. Our love for God and our worship of him will cause us to pray to him and trust in him. And our love for God will cause us to hunger for his kingdom, which will lead to fasting. Let's have a think of each uh, three of these. Firstly, 
uh, the call to care and charity. Jesus said this, so when you give to the needy, do not pronounce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on their streets to be honoured by others. It's interesting, I was thinking about that, um, how does that happen today? And, and I'll give you an example from fundraising, um, not in the church, but so often you'll hear big fundraising pushes, and one of the things is they will just make note of the platinum level, the gold level, silver level, of people who've given to things. And you see it with typically, I mean, hospitals is one, with children's wards, we absolutely want them, and I'm so grateful for people to give uh, voluntarily to them, but it's amazing how they get named after people. And what Jesus is saying is, well, if that's you, you've got your reward. Don't expect anything from heaven. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may be giving it in secret. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Let me take you back to Jesus' day. At that time in the first century, there was no social security. There was no state aid for low-income families, no unemployment benefits and no housing commission housing. Uh, we live in a blessed country and we should be very thankful for the social care that happens and it is a wonderful thing. Because if you were poor in the first century, you're in trouble. And so the understanding of the day was rightly within Israel that you would give to the needs of the poor. It's interesting, I spoke about tithing, giving 10% in terms of church ministry. Uh, Kath, my wife, has just finished a course uh, in at Moore College over the last two years. And for one of her assignments, uh, gave a message on giving. Uh, she was just given the passage and she did some research on tithing and it's fascinating because she said when you add up all the tithes, it actually comes to 25%. The 10% to look after, if I could say, the spiritual ministry was the beginning, but so much other was to give to those in need who were poor in Israel to make sure they were looked after. And she said when I added up all the numbers, it came to 25% in terms of what they were giving away. And in that culture... It was actually obligatory and often in towns there'd be a weekly collection for the poor. Typically, once you've been living there one month, you were on the list to give because that's what they did. They looked after those in need. And what Jesus is saying is to them, don't blow your trumpet when you do this. Scholars are not sure what the trumpet was. It's probably metaphorical. Don't announce it to everyone. Just let your left hand do it without even your right hand being aware of it. And it's interesting, the word used here for giving to the poor is a word that means mercy or pity or compassion. In other words, fueled by your love for God and his grace and mercy on your life. Just quietly go about your business and care for those and give to those in need. And what is to mark us as a people is a genuine concern for those in need. They may not be poor in the sense of homeless, though we have them here, and we do seek to care for them with the soup kitchen ministry. There are lots of people just in great needs in all sorts of ways, and Jesus' expectation is we'll support them and care for them secretly. We mentioned the Grace Fund to encourage you about St Matthew's Church. Uh, you may not know this, you may know it. Uh, if you look at the annual general finances, there's a line on the ledger that says care for the needy fund. And it's our grace fund. And it's been established to help people here at St Matthews who are in need. 
and Andrew Graham, our pastoral care t- uh, minister, along with a number of volunteers uh, from the congregations, help administer that and come beside people when there's financial needs to give money. Now, here's the thing I most love about it. I mean, I love that we're doing that. Uh, it's kind of done very privately behind the scenes for all the obvious reasons. Uh, that there are people who, for numbers of reasons, uh, the government benefits don't help, and we want to step in and help them. And the thing I love the most is the fund never runs out. <laughs> it just goes up and down. And we never ask for money, but money comes in. And it happened just again. Money was low. I said to Andrew, how is it now? He said, oh, money's been topped up. <laughs> I have no idea who's done it. I don't want to know. But I just want to commend you. This is what Jesus is talking about. That there is just this secret giving behind the scenes to those in need. Now, it shouldn't just be for our Grace Group Fund. The amazing thing is when I hear of people who have received kindness and finances for different issues that they've had need for. And that is exactly how we should be operating. That There is just this private, secret love for people. It's wonderful. And I commend you if you're part of that. I have no idea who they are, but it's amazing. Secrecy saves sincerity. And that's what we need to take hold of. But secondly, there's a call to pray. We care for people, but we pray and seek God. Verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling on like the pagans do, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, he says. For your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. Two things to note. Uh, This is not forbidding public praying that Barry Hammond just came and let us in or any of the other prayers led us in, or our prayer meetings that we have during the week. I say that because the early church would have been hypocrites, because they had public prayer meetings. It's one of the first things they did after Jesus went back to heaven. They gathered and they prayed, Acts chapter 1. Public prayer meetings are great. If you want to come and join the parish one here, it's 7 o'clock Tuesday mornings. If you can't make it, email me. I'll give you the points and put you on the list. What this is reflecting on, though, is that each of us should have this private devotional life that is in secret, if I can use those words. That we should be privately spending time with the Father in prayer, I would add, reading the Word, praying according to the way Jesus teaches us. And you think about the beautiful way He teaches us here. Our Father in heaven, and it's worth saying, this was not given to be a rote prayer, but things to pray for. But having said that, there's nothing wrong with praying it as a rote prayer because it just reinforces the prayer in our consciousness. And it's a beautiful prayer to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, in our praying, secretly, there should just be this private worship of God to express our love for him. We don't have to tell other people. We can praise him together when we're together corporately, but privately is where the fuel is. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, we're praying for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we look up and we give God praise. But also there's this sense of which God wants to care for us. Give us today our daily bread. It's interesting, that quote is from Psalm, sorry, Proverbs 30, verses 8, 9 and 10. And in that, it says, Do not desire either poverty or riches, because both will lead you astray. Actually ask just for your daily bread, is what the Proverbs say. In other words, your needs to be met, that God would look after you. And then to be in right relationship. If there's forgiveness that needs to be offered, then do it. If you need to forgive others, forgive them. Lead us not to temptation, that you'd be walking well with God in life. And you see, this is to be the fuel of our praying before the Father in secret. And I love the, the promise at the end. God will reward you as we seek him this way. I often think of myself this way. Who I am before God is who I really am in secret prayer before him. That and no more. And the real measure of the depth of our spirituality is seen in the privacy of our prayer closet. So can I encourage you, if you don't seek the Lord every day in prayer, to do that and to have some time privately, quietly, praying and reading and seeking him as you start the day. Because you see, secrecy saves sincerity and it will develop your spirituality. Thirdly, fasting. Verse 17, when you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they're fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you fast, again, the expectation is not if you fast, but when you fast. And I take it, it is significant that it comes after this instruction to pray for the kingdom to come. Because when you go further into Matthew's gospel, there's a discussion about fasting that takes place between the Pharisees and the disciples. And Jesus says, look, they will not fast while I'm with them, but after I'm gone, they will fast again. In other words, there will be this hunger for the kingdom to come and for the Lord to return. And flowing out of wanting to see God's kingdom come and praying for that, there should be a hunger and a thirst for that. Isn't that what Jesus taught in the Beatitudes? And so as we pray, there will be occasions when we also fast and pray. You can pray without fasting, but fasting is to aid our praying. And it is to give fuel to desire. Because fasting is about giving up a good thing, food. And let me say, I love my food. <laughs> love cooking it. And my son's come home and we're rediscovering slow-cooked beef. Oh, it's so good. Nothing against food. But there's something greater. It's the kingdom of God that we need to have a passion for. And that is why we start each year with a week of prayer and fasting. And I remember the first time we started here was back in 2009, I'd just arrived, and I was explaining to you, who were here in 2009, that we were going to start the year with a week of prayer and fasting. And there were just these looks of, is he really serious? 
And uh, yeah, and you really mean not eating food? Yes, that's what fasting is. It means you don't eat food. Now, there are other ways you can fast, no doubt. But there was just this sense of, do we really have to do this? Well, Jesus actually expects that we would do this. Why? Because we've got this hunger and passion that surpasses our desire for food to see the kingdom come. And the significant thing for me has been about that reality of starting the year with prayer and fasting is this. Every year, I know we're going to face challenges as a church. Now, I don't know what they are, (laughs) but there'll be challenges for all of us, both individually and corporately. There's always going to be difficult situations I'm confronted with. And you just think in the last five years, the challenges we've had to face, we've just got through a very long and challenging building program. But we actually got through it. We're getting through the worst of the pandemic, which seriously, at the beginning of the year, who would have had any idea about what was coming in 220? But we've actually gotten through it. He's getting us through the financial challenges that we've currently faced. I never felt a sense of panic about the giving. I just have this deep abiding trust that God will be at work here in the parish to enable the needs to be met. And people are still coming. People are still joining. People are still coming to faith. And that's why we start the year on our knees, hungering and praying for God to be at work. And his promise is, when you do this in secret, I will bless you, I'll reward you. We live for an audience of one. We focus our energies and attention to him not worrying about what people think, and we have time with him, we then go out and we serve him. But the thing is, we just don't announce it. We don't brag about it. We don't tell people what we're doing. We just get on and do it. And when we do that, the promise is God will be at work in us and through us. Because secrecy saves sincerity. And it helps us to live for an audience of one. And seriously, if you want to grow deeper in your faith... Do what Jesus is saying here. Because when you don't tell people, when you keep it secret, there is a need to tell someone. Well, who are you, who are you living before? You're actually now living before the Father. And that's why secrecy is so important. It, it focuses our attention upwards so that as we do things, we can talk to God about them and feel his pleasure as we do them. Let me finish with the promise that Jesus gives. And I do want to finish here because it's so important to take hold of. Three times he makes this statement, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I want to ask you, do you actually believe that? That God will reward you, that he will bless you. And I take it this is not just future blessing of when we get to heaven, though there will be some of that, but it's that we will be rewarded now in part. We will experience his blessing now in our lives. That is the promise. The Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is how we grow deeper in our faith. Sincerity saves, sorry, secrecy saves sincerity.
And I just want us to stop now as we finish and as I close. And I just want you to just think about what Jesus is challenging us about in terms of our life. To what extent does pride affect our actions? And to what extent are we living for an audience of one in how we practice our faith, in caring for others, in having a private devotion life, in having a hunger and passion for God's kingdom to come? Let's be quiet and just pray, and then we're going to celebrate communion shortly.